0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Tailoring treatments based on your specific genetics, environment and behaviour is the idea of precision medicine. Precision medicine is something that's been getting a lot of focus now, particularly from the National Institute of Health. And a whole bunch of new research is looking at the genetics and tailoring treatments based on responses of individuals to certain types of drugs and treatments. This is a great help for science, and we find out about some three different ways that we're building precision medicine. Mice are very cute, but they're also essential for a lot of genetic and biological research and testing purposes. But they have something in common with us. In fact, 20,000, roughly, things in common with us in their genes. And that's one of the reasons why we use them for so much testing, is that they actually have a large overlap with humanity, in terms of our genetic code. And that's really, really interesting, because by studying the impacts of something in mice, we can learn a lot more about what's going on with humankind. And a recent study done out of University of California, Davis campus, in particular their mouse biology program, has uncovered around 1,700 different genes and really looked at the impacts of these, all as part of an idea to pursue something called precision medicine. Now, when the researchers from UC Davis were studying these genes in particular, they were doing different kinds of testing to identify how important they are and whether or not mutations that occur in these genes are lethal or threatening or what the impact of them is. So out of these genes in particular, they found that by modifying and introducing mutations into them, that there are about 410 of those that are fully lethal when mutated. So often we think about mutations as being this fantastic, great thing that gives us superpowers, but the reality is when you modify and strangely tweak a gene, which is what a mutation is, then it can lead to disastrous consequences, in particular um, for embryos as they're developing. And then they also found that um, one third of these 1700 genes are essential for life. So any tweaks in them will drastically either lead to lowering of life expectancy or being fully lethal. And they found this out by using high-resolution 3D imaging and automated computational analysis of the images. So they could actually look at the genes and then do a timeline for the changes in the embryos for all those particular genes once mutations were introduced. So basically, by taking these Mouse genomes and mouse genes, and then introducing mutations in them and studying what happened to the embryos after this, we could actually learn which genes are essential and which genes are less essential for life. It means that we can get a better understanding of the criticality and the function of some genes. And since we share roughly 20,000 genes. In common between mice and humans, understanding the impact of small variations and tweaks in these genes is really, really important. Because if we want to do precision medicine, then we need to understand the role of all of the genes in the human body. So what is precision medicine? Well, precision medicine is the concept of basically an individualized disease prevention and treatment program based on their genetics, their lifestyle, and their environment. And it's led Uh, through the Precision Medical Initiative and the National Institute of Health in the United States. And they're trying to really develop it as a clinical practice, a really defined practice. Uh, And and, uh, President Obama made a a large contribution in funding and importance in the State of the Union outlining why precision medicine will be a a big deal. And there's a whole bunch of different studies going on as part of this initiative program, including the one we just spoke about. Uh, And they have over a million Research participants who share samples and genetic and dietary lifestyle information. They've got a big database where they can track this. And then they do other studies, like this one with the mice, to try and understand the role of genes more. And it all means that given our bigger and better understanding of human genes, uh, getting people more engaged in tracking all the different impact factors, and then using big data analytics on all the information we gathered, we can hopefully learn more and have better health outcomes for everybody. And a lot of this is also tied back to the Human Genome Project because, after all, as we know, DNA is made up of 23 chromosome pairs with about 3 billion different DNA base pairs. And this is important because, all in all, we have, I reckon, 20,000, 25,000 of human protein coding genes. I mean, originally we thought there was around 100,000, but we need to know exactly what each of them do. And when we found more and more significant ones, we sort of reduced that number down a bit. But there’s still so much we don’t know about genetics, and that is the reason why the Human Genome Project, as well as this research involving studying in mice genes and understanding the differences there, will really help us lead to, I guess, this dream end state of precision medicine, where your exact genetics, your exact environment, your conditions can lead to a, a tailored health plan just for you to keep you healthy and make the best out of your particular circumstances. That's a really novel and interesting approach to medicine. And research such as the study in mice genes being done at the University of California in Davis is quite important for us to be able to better target and understand the roles of each individual genes and know when to be aware of mutations that might be damaging to health outcomes. road from uc davis is university california los angeles and they have been focusing in their regenerative medicine and stem cell research group on something truly amazing and you might have seen the headlines of scientists growing lungs in a laboratory before and we'll try and provide a bit more rational realism here but what these scientists from ucla have actually done through techniques of regenerative medicine they've created What we call organoids. They're not fully functional organs, but they are starting to replicate the base components of these full organs. And in this case, that means not growing a fully functioning lung in a lab like the news reports might have you believe, but the ability to take small lung cells and grow them out to get the correct sort of density and spacing that you would see to mimic. human lung now often lung and respiratory diseases leave huge damage on the lungs and that's how we notice them for example idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis is is a type of chronic lung disease and what it results in is scarring across the lungs now that scarring makes the lungs thick and stiff because it makes them less flexible to expand and contract and the result of that is that people get shorter and shorter breath it's harder to breathe leading to a lack of oxygen to the brain and organs and after a while if you have this chronic disease, it's, there's not a good life expectancy about three to five years after diagnosis or critical stage. And this can be caused by a number of factors, so the direct cause at this stage is not clear, though there is some suspicion that it's linked to things such as carcinogens, such as cigarette smoke, uh, certain types of dust, or potentially even genetics. Now, if you want to study a terrible disease like that, you need lung tissue and lung sample, but the problem is you can't just ask for some lung Uh, and and test on that. And that's where the university researchers at UCLA, in their stem cell research centre, thought, well, hang on, why don't we just grow some lung cells to study? And this has led to a really fascinating combination of a couple of different areas of research and some great outcomes. So the only way to really model the impact of this terrible disease is to actually have pretty much an equivalent of a working lung. And so, Dr. Brigitte Gompertz and her team at the Broad Stem Cell Research Centre started to assemble the stem cells from adult lungs. And then they, they used these cells to coat basically hydrogel beads and then basically laid out these beads into a lattice, a three-dimensional lattice. Really, really, really similar to how your lung actually is because your lung isn't just a flat surface wrapped around. It's actually a three-dimensional lattice structure with all these lung cells inside it that grow together and form what becomes our lungs. And so what they did is they made this big lattice, seven millimetres across in total. And inside each of these wells, that they, because of the stem cell coating, the, the lung organoids grew, and to mimic the full structure of an actual lung, just on like a part scale. So then they could effectively lab grow tissue of what is very, very close to real sections of human lung, not a full lung, just the, the sectional structure. It's a really simple technique, but it's really, really effective because now they can make reproducible, consistent samples of lung tissue to study lung disease on, and that's fantastic. Now, once you've built that lattice as well, you can then introduce molecular factors to mimic the scarring. So not only do you have a relatively sample-based control group or something to test on, you then also have a consistent damage test as well. So you can mimic the, the, the scarring caused by certain types of lung disease. And this is great, because it means that these researchers can now hope to understand what causes and what can help some chronic lung diseases, including idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, and then test the possible treatments for it as well. Now, given the way that this particular test works... You could actually apply the techniques of precision medicine to this as well. Now, taking stem cells or collecting cells from a person, turn them into stem cells, then put those stem cells on the actual lattice structure. And so you could grow a sample of their own lungs to then test on. And that's the whole idea of precision medicine. And merely personalizing treatments as well as analysis of study. And this is some great work being done out of UCLA, led by Dr. Brigitte Gomkertz and Daniel Wilkinson and their team. Designing and developing new drugs is a very, very complex science. And not only that, once you've solved the science of the particular treatment you're trying to identify, you then have to test it and gain regulatory approval, which is really, really hard if you've developed a drug to treat a very dangerous uh, condition, which means that you have to convince someone to undergo the the testing first too. And about 30% of drugs in clinical trials are eventually withdrawn due to safety concerns potentially because of adverse outcomes that you either didn't identify at the time or have emerged later on. And that means it's very, very challenging and expensive and time-consuming and as well as ethically dangerous to develop new drugs. And if you think about something like organ transplant, where you're really, really, really desperate people who have a limited supply of organs, who are hoping for a cure, testing something in those conditions is incredibly difficult particularly with something like a heart transplant. And if you have a drug that's designed to help with heart transplants and increasing uh, the donor's uh, acceptance of an organ, then you don't get many chances to test and get that right, which makes it really, really difficult. And this is where some new research using stem cells and a bit of precision medicine have really, really helped identify, test, and calibrate new drugs to make sure that they are safe and doing what they should do by using tests on heart muscle cells made from the donors themselves so this research is being done out of the Stanford University School of Medicine and basically they're building a proxy model of the donors heart out of their own stem cells or at least doing it on a, on a very small scale to see and predict whether a patient is likely to experience a drug-related heart damage as part of some of their transplant treatment therapy. The way they do this is actually take uh, easily obtained skin or blood samples, and then they, from there, they create stem cells using one of the new techniques to do so. So in the process, they take these stem cells, and then they coax those stem cells to become new and other types of cells. And they have, In this instance, heart muscle cells, which are called cardiomyocytes uh, and they do that basically from general ips cells from people in this example the researchers actually took these ips cells from people known to have a genetic predisposition to cardiac problems they sequenced the rna of the molecules and the heart muscles to know exactly what proteins the cells were making and how much and they could compare the results and sample patterns for each person to make sure that in this stem cell creation process as well they weren't introducing any errors just from the stem cell creation process, not from the actual treatment. Then they analysed whether or not there was a response, what type of response occurred to the treatment drugs, including some drugs that are used to treat type 2 diabetes and others that are an immunosuppressant to reduce the rejection rate in organ transplant. Now, it's known that in the past, often we see a, an adverse effect with someone who has genetic disposition to heart damage. And they were really testing whether or not this would be the case on this particular treatment to try and isolate. But the problem is, heart cells really differ from person to person. And this is what the researchers saw, uh, even amongst people that shared a similar RNA type. And so this is really interesting because scientists would have thought that, you know, well, if you have this gene, if you have this type of RNA expression, then surely amongst everyone who has that won't, you know, respond will respond the same way to a treatment has been shown not to be the case, at least for this particular type of abnormality. So they saw differences amongst the people who they were doing this trial on, on a different metabolic pathway that's involved in the response to the drug and to the particular disease. And that's quite interesting because even though they have the same base gene, the metabolic pathway was behaving in a different way. And that led to people having different responses to the drug. It wasn't as simple as just looking to the gene for a reason. And this is really, really important because if we want to nail precision medicine then we need to know exactly how individuals respond to a drug. And this method of growing the cells and then testing the drug response on those cells is just part of that practice. Because it's the only way to get it right because we can't just say, well, you've got these genes. It's going to behave this certain way, which is what the study has shown for this particular type of heart cells and process. So there's still a lot to learn if we want to get precision health right. But the ability to grow and test our new drugs on actual cells will go help us get a long way in doing that. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. This week we found out about precision medicine, including improving our heart transplant responses, studying the impacts of lung disease, and by looking at what overlap there is between mass and human genes. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Anatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.